From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease are inflammatory bowel diseases that can be debilitating and can lead to some life-threatening complications. Here with me to give an overview of IBD is Dr. Sekou Rollins. He's an assistant professor of internal medicine in Upstate's Division of Gastroenterology. Welcome, Dr. Rollins. Hey, Amber. Yeah, thanks for being here. So inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD, that's an umbrella term for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's diseases. Um, so let's start with a description of what, what those are, how they're different. Okay. So the inflammatory bowel diseases are the bowel diseases uh, in which there is a, a segmental and sequential ulceration and uh, inflammation of the, of the bowel. And I say bowel in a very general term because it can affect anywhere from um, the mouth uh, to the anus. It's, it's a kind of diffuse disease. And in particular, it affects the colon and the small intestine. Now, um, there are two main diseases that we talk about when we say idiopathic inflammatory bowel disease because there are lots of different disease processes that can affect the gut. You can have infectious diseases. You can have diseases due to uh, the loss of blood supply uh, temporarily or permanently to the bowel. Uh, you can have uh, diseases due to uh, surgical change. But the ones we talk about in particular, ulcerative colitis and um, Crohn's disease are the ones which are uh, due to some nexus of the immune system, due to some um, autoimmunity, your own immune system plays a part in attacking your gut. Hmm. Okay. So if that's the case, is this are these conditions that people are born with? Because you're born with, you have your immune system as part of you. So does the disease, you're born with it? I think you're born with a predilection to have these diseases. Uh, there are some people uh, who given the right or, or the wrong occupational things or the wrong environmental exposures, uh, they're likely to have uh, these uh, diseases. We say that, in general, people who have inflammatory bowel disease, they typically have a 40% chance of having a first-degree relative who also has these diseases. So we know there's a, a hereditary component, but we also know that depending what part of the world you live in, depending uh, what kind of um, toxins you're, you're exposed to, depending on the sheer volume of of milk protein that you consume early on in life, you're likely or less likely to have these things happen, which is intriguing because we see clusters of people who have Crohn's disease in, in neighborhoods over different parts of the country and different parts of the world. Um, there is very little inflammatory bowel disease in sub-Saharan Africa, for instance. It just doesn't happen. So it makes us think that there is something to do with the way our immune system processes uh, messages that says to your immune system, hey, Go attack the gut. But it, the, the disease, the, the understanding of this is, is in its infancy right now, so we'll know more in the years to come. Interesting. Well, you mentioned milk proteins. So does this have something to do with dairy intake? Yeah. So there are, and again, it's still kind of being sussed out, and I don't want to have a running and screaming to the, um, the fridge. But we know that people who have a higher intake of, of dairy have a somewhat increased incidence of, of IBD. And it's not the only thing. I think it's the multi-hit process. I think you have to check all these boxes before you finally come down with the disease. Um, certainly, um, but I, I think that's, that's part of the, the, the situation. Um, so we don't really know what causes it entirely. That is we have a lot of I think theories. it's a lot of different things are contrib contributing. Okay. Are there risk factors that we're aware of? Things that maybe, you said some people may be predisposed to this. Um, are there things that we would look out for to 
to be aware of that? Not especially. I think if you have a family history of, of other autoimmune diseases like lupus, psoriasis, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, these are all associated, um, uh, vitiligo are all associated with autoimmunity. So I don't think there's so much things that you can avoid so much as things that will allow you to be more vigilant. So if you have a relative who has celiac disease or if you're a relative that has Crohn's disease and you start to have diarrhea or rectal bleeding or belly pain, it would kind of raise the suspicion of your physicians that there's something going on. Okay. Well, um, how does the person typically discover that they have IBD? Uh, so it depends on which part of the bowel is affected. So people who have um, more uh, disease in their the left side of the colon and then the, the lower part of their colon, uh, they present with um, a rectal bleeding. They might have um, bloody stools. They might have a left lower quadrant of abdominal pain. They might have a feeling of incomplete evacuation when they move their bowels. As opposed to people who have a disease of the right side of their colon or the upper part of their colon, um, they might just complain of belly pain. They might have weight loss. They might begin to have an iron deficiency. Um, um, if you have someone whose bowel disease uh, causes inflammation in their gut and they have extension of that inflammatory tract to other organs, you can have a situation where if you have a fistula, which is an abnormal tract from, say, the bowel to the bladder, you might end up seeing gas bubbles in the urine. You might see uh, feces in the urine. If someone has a fistula from their gut to their skin, you can actually get a wound on the, the abdominal wall. Uh, if you get, um, if someone has a large enough abscess or, or, or air of irritation, it can cause obstruction of the bowels, and they might have a pretty bad constipation and a kind of a distension of the abdomen. Uh, although I say, I think the prototypical complaint with inflammatory bowel disease are belly pain, diarrhea, and blood in the stool, which are the, the, the main complaints. It sounds like as a physician, though, if you uh, the patient will tell you symptoms that really kind of lead you to, to suspect that it's a certain thing or not. Um, are there tests that you do to confirm a diagnosis? Absolutely. So the, the purest diagnosis of uh, inflammatory bowel disease would be done by endoscopy. So um, that's passing a, a camera tube into the GI tract, either through the anus into the colon or down from the mouth into the stomach and the small intestine. Um, so colonoscopy is the endoscopic test that we use to look at the colon and the very end of the small intestine. Um, for reference, the colon in most people is about five feet long, whereas your small intestine is about 20 feet long. So there's a whole segment of small intestine that we don't usually get a very good look at, but the good news is that people who have ulcerative colitis, which is one of the arms of inflammatory bowel disease, uh, have disease which affects only the colon. So you can see the entire colon with a colonoscope, whereas people who have um, Crohn's disease typically have the disease at the very end of the small intestine and may have bits of it uh, through the entire colon. They may have disease around the, the, the anal opening and so perianal disease as well. Um, so you go in with a camera, you're able to visualize and see this, what, inflammation? Or what does it look like? Right. So in, in the healthy state, the, the colon is it's kind of this a shiny pink uh, glistening lining. So once you've cleared all the poop out of somebody, not to be too gross about it, once you've uh, done a, a thorough purgative, uh, someone's entire colon is kind of pink, glistening, healthy pairing blood vessels uh, through the lining of the colon. Uh, people who have disease, it, it can start off as um, uh, kind of, tiny erosions, tiny ulcerations, 
They can begin to have scarring. They can have stricturing and narrowing. They can have heaped up ulcers. They can have uh, frank bleeding. Um, and sometimes you can even see uh, uh, like a hole from, from one ear to another. So if someone has a fistula from one part of the colon to the small intestine or from the colon to another part of the colon, you can see these fistulae. Um, and sometimes people can have such extensive strictures you can't even pass the scope. So you can get to an area through which you can't pass the scope anymore. And that's actually very concerning because once you have kind of a scar down area, there's nothing that medicines can do for the most part to fix that. That's actually someone's going to require a surgical uh, fix. Okay, so surgery is sometimes a treatment, but there's medications that are treatments um, too? There are lots of great medications. So there's entire families of medications which are, uh, are, are directed towards inflammatory bowel disease. Although, but I think all of us as internal medicine doctors and gastroenterologists need to remember that still about 30% of people who have Crohn's disease, no matter what you do for them, their disease is so aggressive in 2018 that they're going to need to have some surgery in their lifetime. So it's not a failure of medical therapy. It's just a, an example of the, the aggression of that person's disease, of the natural history of their disease. And um, is the surgery taking out part of the colon? Uh, it can be. Um, so depending on the distribution of disease, uh, some people have pretty much all of the disease localized to one part of them. So some people with Crohn's disease can have very aggressive disease at the very end of their small intestine. And we found that if you remove the end of the small intestine, the terminal ileum, the end of the small intestine, take it out, and then you stitch um, the small intestine to the right side of the colon, um, these people will essentially function as, as not having any disease at all for, um, for, for, for months to years. Um, depending on how aggressive someone's disease was beforehand, you can actually avoid putting some people back on medicines at all. You can just follow them clinically to see how they'll do. Um, so some surgeries require removal of bowel. Some surgeries just require kind of opening up an area of narrowing and that's kind of a, um, that might be on the scope of this conversation, but discussions about surgery should be, should be had with a trusted uh, colorectal surgeon, of which we have a number of them in the community who are just great. They're fantastic surgeons. I would send my family to them. Well, let me ask you this. How does life change for someone after they're diagnosed with an, uh, an IBD? Does, so, does it change their their diet? Does it change what they're able to do, like lifestyle-wise? I, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of uh, professional athletes, of, of physicians, of teachers, of, of politicians who have inflammatory bowel disease, and you wouldn't know unless they told you. Uh, and I'm talking about, like, professional basketball players, professional football oh. players. So people who have robust schedules, who have, um, who have these things. So um, in, in well-controlled disease and people who have achieved uh, clinical remission, I think their quality of life is, is equivalent to mine and yours. Um, I would go further to say that in the current state of affairs with medications, I think um, a life expectancy is now equivalent to the baseline. So it wasn't in, in years gone by that people with ulcerative colitis would expect to die of colon cancer, and people with Crohn's disease would expect to have chronic nutritional deficiencies, and they would live shorter lives, and they'd be smaller physically and malnourished. But that is no longer the case. I think that for the majority of our patients, we can, we can say, hey, it's going to be okay once we get you in remission. But getting people in remission sometimes can take months and years to kind of get them in the right um, cocktail of medications. So um, there are a couple different groupings of medications which are useful for us. Um, I'd like to talk about um, uh, corticosteroids, of which uh, prednisone is, is one of them. Prednisone is a great drug in that it's a great old drug. It's a cheap drug. Um, it's good for 
getting someone into remission right now. But we know that there are significant side effects involved in being on steroids for longer than a couple of weeks. So we're trying to limit people from being on uh, a lifetime on steroids for longer than... So uh, in your entire lifetime, we try to limit you to three months of steroids for the entire life. So if your doctor puts you on steroids, there, there has to be an additional plan to get you off of the steroids. And that can mean starting another medication like um, um, azathioprine or 6-mercaptoprine, which are also fairly old drugs. were invented in the 1930s. They were invented to treat um, cancers, actually. Because um, we know that they affect the way the immune system works and can't turns the immune system down and makes it so it stops attacking your gut so strongly. Um, these are great drugs. Um, it's very important to kind of monitor uh, people's blood counts and liver tests in the early going because we know that some people can have um, uh, an associated hepatitis, they can have an associated anemia because of these medications. So if you're checking uh, liver tests and blood counts for the first couple of weeks, that's pretty appropriate. Um, well, before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you, once, once things are stabilized and a person that has IBD has got it under control, so to speak, are they still at risk for complications? Um, so short answer, yes. Uh, we say that once someone has inflammatory bowel disease for longer than 10 years or so, we need to do surveillance to make sure that they're not going to make a colon cancer. We say that at baseline, um, the average American person has a 5% risk of making a colon cancer, uh, whereas someone who has a long segment um, colonic involvement of inflammatory bowel disease has about a 10% risk of making a colon cancer. So it's a significant increase in risk. Um, and the way we surveil for that is by doing a colonoscopy every two years or so to see if the biopsies of their colon are showing any signs of change called dysplasia. Um, signs of dysplasia could indicate actually removing the colon because you can't get colon cancer if you don't have a colon. Um, so which, you have to be more vigilant with um, screenings for, abs, for this patient absolutely. population. So it, it's not just screening, it's, it's actually dysplasia surveillance looking intently. And sometimes at the time of colonoscopy, we'll, we'll spray the colon down with a, um, a special um, a, a endoscopic dye to try to kind of um, accentuate the, these, these findings. Well, very good to know. Well, thank you so much for the information. My guest has been Dr. Sekou Rollins. He's an assistant professor of internal medicine at Upstate in the Division of Gastroenterology. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.